We are continuing uh, to work our way through the Gospel of John, and uh, we saw last week as we um, started into to chapter 7 that um, we've seen John is building this case within the Gospel of telling us about the life of Jesus and how we, we started with Jesus kind of deflecting the spotlight and, and pushing attention off of himself, and, and then as we see, as we worked our way through, we've seen more miracles, more stories, more teachings, and, and where Jesus has started to to accept the attention and even draw attention to himself through different miracles and through different teachings. And we saw last week, and we went into chapter 7, is we kind of have this pause and the action when in chapter 7 and chapter 8 that there's no miracle done, there's no huge event, there's just a lot of dialogue and a lot of, of discussion. And, and all of these different teachings and, and, and dialogues and exchanges happen in the context of this Jewish festival of shelters that happens in Jerusalem. And, and, and in a lot of ways, chapter 8 is just a, a continuation of chapter 7. And we see this, this conversation continue between Jesus and the religious leaders and the crowds within Jerusalem and in the temple area. But yet, right in the middle, in between these two chapters, is we have this, this passage, um, John seven fifty three through 8, 11. Now, this, this passage is a separate story, okay? and this is the story of the adulterous woman. As it's brought to Jesus, she's, she's brought, she's thrown down at the feet of Jesus, and she's, she, she's accused, right? And the, the religious leaders and the people that brought her want to stone her to death, and, and they challenge Jesus during this story. And, and here Jesus kind of pushes back, and he, he pushes back on them, he sits down and writes in the dirt, and, and again, it doesn't tell us what he writes, but yet it, it just, he, he, deflects the tension and everyone goes away. Again, this is, this is an, an awesome story. It's a fun story. It tells us a lot about who God is and his grace and, and the heart of Jesus and, and all of these things. And yet, this, this story is just kind of inserted into the middle of this ongoing dialogue in chapter 7 and 8. And, and if you start kind of reading and see that, it, it doesn't really fit in the context or in, in the flow of what John is doing. In fact, most Bibles, if you look in your Bible, I know mine has it, I know uh, most do, there's, there's this, this heading above, this kind of disclaimer above this story. Okay, and the disclaimer is that, that this story is not found in the earliest manuscripts. Okay, now what that means okay, is that the Bible was not written in English and throughout our times, right, it was it has been copied by scribes, and, and they would copy it down on a new scroll, and then when the, then the, the old one would be destroyed. And so we don't have the original writings of Scripture, okay, but yet we have, um, we found through archaeology and excavation, and, and at different times, they found very, very old manuscripts and copies of the Scriptures. And, and as they study those, they find it's, it's, it's astronomical how close they are and, and how accurate they are, even compared to our modern Bibles. But what this is saying now, though, is that in those earliest manuscripts of the Gospel of John, 753 through 811, the story of the adulterous woman is not in those manuscripts. But you see that, that, that again, just it, it fits in. We go through from, from 752, it goes right into 8. 12, right? And it just continues on in the story, and that makes sense. And, and so yet we stand back and we read this disclaimer and say, so why is it in there? Well, most scholars believe that it's in there because um, 
one of the scribes was copying down. They, they likely knew this, this oral tradition. This, they, they've been, they, everybody knew this story about Jesus, of what happened at this festival. And this is one of the things that happened there. And yet, as time passed, and as they were, they were copying this story and realized right, that everybody knew that that event had happened sometime in the midst of, of this time period, and said, but we, we can't forget that. We can't let the readers forget that story. And so that scribe wrote it in there. So it would not be forgotten. And so again, it, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily, it doesn't mean that that story didn't happen. It doesn't mean that, 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 that it's, it's false. It just means that John didn't originally include it. But yet a scribe somewhere down the line throughout the, the, the years of history decided that they didn't want that story lost. Right? And so they wrote it down and they added it into the middle. And, and likely just because that story probably happened in the midst of this, you know, this event, right, in Jerusalem. So with, with that said, is we're not going to go into the story today. We're not going to, I'm going to, we're going to kind of set it aside. We don't have time to go in because, again, it doesn't fit in the ongoing dialogue that happens in chapters 7 and 8. Um, but it is a, a, a significant story. It gives us lots of great lessons about, about the heart of God and, and the way that Jesus did things. And, and so, if again, if I encourage you to to, folk, to read that story, to look at it, and if you go to, to one of those sermon discussion groups or even go through the questions on your own, um, that you're going to dive into that story in those questions. So I just encourage you to do that, but we're going to set it aside for today um, because we are going to move on uh, into the rest of chapter 8 because with the exception of 753 through 811, chapter 8 is just a continuation of chapter 7. Okay, it is an ongoing dialogue uh, at the same festival, the same people, truthfully, the same core issues are discussed in chapter 8 that were in chapter 7. However, the, the tension continues to rise between Jesus and the religious leaders and the crowd. Okay, Jesus continues to raise the bar as far as the challenges he gives them and, and, and the things that he's teaching. And just like last week, we saw all these different reactions to Jesus. Today, um, Jesus also steps up the challenge. And when we look at, at chapter 8, right, if, if the, the, the theme of 7 was, what's your reaction to Jesus, then we move into to this week's chapter and this week's theme of chapter 8. And, and I have self-designated the theme of this chapter as, who's your daddy? Hey, now I understand, this is a, this is a pop culture reference, right? This is, this is a phrase that, that we use in, in our culture today that, again, Jesus didn't use back then. I don't know, maybe he did. I, I think it would be kind of, maybe kind of fun. But, 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 again, how do we use this in our culture? It, it's used over and over again. It's not always used in favorable ways necessarily, right? But one of the most common ways it's used in our culture is in the sports context, right? Just, and, and, and in that context, it's used as a phrase to show dominance, right? To say, you know, who's your daddy? I, I'm going to show you who's boss, right? I'm going to dominate you in this sports, you know, arena, right? And wherever we are. Now, now again, it's, it's been used also in other contexts. If you're a Star Wars fan, you understand, you know, the reference to who's your daddy, right? And, and we see that. However, right, the core meaning of this phrase, right, is asking who is the primary influence and the primary authority in your life. Right? Who is your daddy? Now, because the truth is that 
God is hardwired in the heart of every kid to want to be like their parents. In fact, who do they first imitate in their lives, right? They typically first imitate their parents. I mean, they're, they're, they're the, the first adults that they know the best, right? Now, again, in our world, in our culture with, with broken families and blended families and all the, you know, the, the, the culture we live in today, it, it's kind of changed a little bit, but yet it's at the heart of every child, right, that they look up to their parents. They not just physically look up to them because they're taller, but but they look up to them in many, many ways. And, and yet, as a parent, this also becomes a source of accountability, right? Of realizing that, hey, like, my kids are watching me, right? And the choices I make every day, right, are, are, are influencing them and the way they see the world and the way they see God and the way that they're going to interact with other people. And, and, and so it, it puts this weight on us as parents. See, I, I realized this weight uh, several years ago as um, as... as as the, my boys were little and growing up, and, and to just show you this, this picture of Curtis. This is Curtis in this picture. Okay, Curtis was up here today playing guitar. He's a little bigger now. Okay, but, but as we see here, my regular morning routine is that I get up, I get a cup of coffee, I get my Bible, and I sit down and start my day with coffee and with God's Word. Okay, and this has been my routine for many, many years. And and and. This day, as you see, I'm just sitting at the dining room table with my cup of coffee and my Bible and reading, and, and Curtis was up, and, and he went and found his Bible, and he went and sat down next to me at the table. And you see he's there flipping through his Bible as I'm doing that. And, and Maureen, which she's so good at, snaps the picture. Right? Now, now, to say in this moment, again, this was, this was obviously a special moment for me as a dad and realizing that, but it also made me realize that man, I have a huge responsibility as a dad, right, because my kids are watching everything I do, right, and what am I showing them, what am I teaching them, right, because they have have it hardwired in their hearts and in their minds to to imitate us as their parents, and and, and as, again, realizing that this, again, it, it comes with this huge sobering moment. And you think about this situation in this context at this festival and Jesus teaching in the temple courts. Is that Jesus was trying to bring the crowds and the religious leaders to this moment, to realizing that whoever your daddy is, is incredibly important because it's going to bring in the authority in your life. Right? And it is going to shape the way you see the world. It's going to shape the way the decisions you make and the things that you do every day. And, and as we see this, in the midst of this chapter, Jesus makes three huge, big claims and statements in this chapter. And these statements are, are directed towards the crowd. And the, the, the conversation that follows each one of these statements is with the Jewish leaders who already have their mind made up. And it always goes back to this question of what authority are you following and what are you letting influence your life and influence your decisions? Okay, and Jesus continues to challenge these religious leaders, and he continues to raise the bar on them. And, and, and in fact, as we go through the chapter, as we're into the second chapter of this exchange between Jesus and these religious leaders, you can almost sense the frustration in Jesus kind of rising with each statement. Okay, because he gets more blunt. He, he gets uh, more challenging with every statement. 
And, and so the, the first one, this first statement we found is in this first section um, of chapter 8 in verses 12 through 20. So if you have your Bible with you, please open with me to John chapter 8. And we're going to read this first section. We're going to pick up again at verse 12. Where it says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The Pharisees replied, you are making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. And Jesus told them, these claims are valid even though I make them about myself. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you don't know this about me. You judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect because I am not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. Your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness, and my Father who sent me is the other. Well, where is your Father, they asked. And Jesus answered, since you don't know who I am, you don't know who my Father is. If you knew me, you would also know my Father. And Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury, but he was not arrested because his time had not yet come. So we hear... Here, this, again, this exchange, this, this dialogue between Jesus and these religious leaders. Um, but we start with Jesus' big statement, number one. The, the, the first one we see here in this chapter, and it, it's in verse 12. Here, it's, again, Jesus says, Jesus spoke to the people once more, and he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness, because you will have the light that leads to life. Again, this is a big statement, this is a big claim by Jesus, and this is also the second of the seven I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. We saw the first one last week, right, when he claimed, I am the bread of life. And now we have um, this next one, right, where he claims, I am the light of the world. And we see here this, what is this claim? Well, the claim, right, is that he's light, and we know this this, this theme throughout scriptures, right, that light represents good, right, and darkness, evil. Right? He's claiming, again, his, his divinity here, not only the fact that he's 100% divine, but he's also saying, I give you the light, I will light your path, I will show you where to go. And the more that you follow me, the more confident you become, because you walk in the light. And you don't have to stumble through the darkness. You don't have to wonder about where I'm headed. I, I will show you where you're going. I will show you what your next step is, right? Is that you can walk in the light. And with each big statement, he implies an action step. Right? And the action step that comes with this claim in this first big statement is to follow me. He's saying, I'm an example worthy of following. Right? I, I'm, I'm taking you where you need to go. So just, I will light up the path. I will show you where to go. So just follow. And then we see the, the, this exchange that happens after this claim, right, through the rest of the text that we just read. Right? And this ensuing exchange once again becomes about authority. Right? And, and the, these religious leaders challenge Jesus' authority and say, how can you make that claim, Jesus, because, because you can't just claim that about yourself, right? Anybody can say anything they want about themselves, right? And they challenge his authority, and yet Jesus pushes back on them and says, 
hey, hey, you guys don't know the first thing about authority because you're not following the right authorities at all. And we see this is where the Jewish leaders went wrong. Right? And this is what Jesus is pointing out about them, about where they have gone wrong, is that he tells them that you are following the wrong authority. Because what does Jesus tell him? He says, no, see, because if you really knew me, then you would know my father. And the truth is, you don't know my father at all. Now, chances are, there's probably some of, of them in the crowd that are still wearing, they're like, yeah, we do know who Joseph is. He lives in Nazareth. Right? But yet Jesus, again, is making this, this, this divine claim. He's saying, my father is, is in heaven. Right? My father's who sent me. He is. My father is God. And he's telling them, you guys are not following him at all. In fact, you don't even know him. Because if you knew him, then you would know me. Because he sent me. Now you can imagine how offensive this is to them. Right? And this is where we start to see, again, the tension start to ramp up. Right, as Jesus gets more frustrated in, in these teachings than the fact that they're not even hearing or listening, right, we see where Jesus, again, gets, gets more, more blunt with the accusations, and they get more offended. Right now, I mean, obviously, they're going to be offended at this statement, right? I mean, Jesus is claiming that, that they're following the wrong authority. Right, and in verses 15 and 16, I mean, he tells them, he says, you judge me by human standards. But I do not judge anyone. And, but if I did, my judgment would be correct in every respect because I'm not alone. Because the Father who sent me is with me. And he's telling them, who is the true judge? God is the true judge. And you're making your own human judgments about who I am. And you're not even willing to listen or look any deeper than your preconceived notions of who you think I am. As he's telling him, and by the way, you're wrong about who I am. Right? Because you don't know me because you don't know my father. You say, and, and because you don't know my father, you're not following me at all. You're not even willing to listen. And then we see the next section where Jesus makes the next big statement. The next section is verses 21 through 30. And so we're just going to go straight to his big statement. And the big statement is in verse 21. And then also in kind of 23 through 24, where Jesus kind of follows up and qualifies this big statement he makes in verse 21. And in verse 21, he says, Later Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will search for me, but will die in your sin. And you cannot come where I am going. Because you are from below, and I am from above. You belong to this world, and I do not. This is why I said that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Again, Jesus makes some huge claims and some big statements here in these verses as well. And again, notice if, if, you're the, if you're starting to notice these things as we're reading through the gospel, you will have noticed again that once again here in the gospel is we have the capitalized I am. Okay, and Jesus again is making this this claim, the similar one he made in earlier chapters, right? That, that he is God. That he is divine. Hey, and that, therefore, again, is the action step that comes out of this, 
this big statement, right, number two, and that is to believe that I am. Believe that he is 100% divine. Right, and that because of that fact, right, that, that, that he has complete authority. Right, and that we will not just follow him, but we will believe in him. Right, that, that we will put that, that belief into action. Again, there are three times in this chapter that Jesus claims the title, I am. Okay, and we see this theme play out through the entire gospel. Again, how did the Jewish leaders go wrong? They went wrong here in the, not just denying Jesus' divine nature, but, but they went wrong in that they were putting their trust in the wrong thing. Okay, because they went wrong by putting their trust in works instead of faith. Again, where was their, their, their trust? Their trust was in tradition. Their trust was in the law. Their trust was in everything they built around the temple and the sacrificial law and, and all of the, the ceremonies, right? And, and, and everything that they devoted their life to, they had put their trust into that. And Jesus is saying, no, you have put your faith in the wrong because that's the core of the gospel message, right? Is that we cannot get there on our own. Right? Again, that's exactly what he, 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 he points out about them, right? He says, no, you're looking at it from, from a human perspective. Right? You, you, you're judging incorrectly. You've missed the point of why you need a Messiah. Right? Is you have to believe. Believe that I am. We see in verse 26, right, Jesus dives deeper into this concept. He says, I have much to say about you and how, and much to condemn, but I won't. For I say only what I've heard from the one who sent me, and he is completely truthful. Again, Jesus is like, hey guys, I could give you, I could go on, right? I've got, I, can, I could make a list, right, of ways that you're misguided. Right, of ways that you've gone wrong, of, of ways that you put your trust in the wrong things. He's like, but I'm not going to do that. Right, because that would construe, again, the wrong, the wrong message. That's, that, that's not what, what God is about. Right, God hasn't directed me to, to just list out your sins. Again, the human side of Jesus wanted to call them out and condemn them. But our Heavenly Father wants them to believe so their works won't count against them. But I notice this, this really important phrase. And in fact, I, I encourage you to circle it or underline it on your outline. Okay, where, where Jesus ends verse 26, right, when he says that he is completely truthful. He's completely truthful. That is a, char a character trait of God that, that we could put our full trust in. Right? That God is completely truthful. Again, this doesn't mean that God denies our sin. Right? In fact, if he's completely truthful, he knows the truth about our sin and about our, our wandering hearts, right? And about, about how all the things that we desire and how we try to, to do it ourselves and how all those things. No, he's completely truthful. He does not deny our sin, but he sees the entire truth, right? And the entire truth is that 
not only does our sin exist, but the entire truth is that Jesus has paid the price for that sin. Right, and that is the entire truth. That's, that's the heart of God, right? That he sent the Messiah to save us when we couldn't save ourselves. He is completely truthful. And then we see in verse 30, right? As Jesus continues to raise the bar and to, and to challenge these religious leaders, in, in John 8, verse 30, it says, Then many who heard him say these things believed him. Right, and these Jewish leaders see the, 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 the culture, the, the kind of the, you know, the, the tide of the crowd starts shifting towards this truthful, loving God that Jesus is teaching them about. And once again, they, they sense, right, the, the fact that, that it's shifting away from them as the authority. Right, and them were the one with all the answers, and, and that it's, it's, it's shifting towards the truth of Jesus. And shocker, they're offended. They go into self-preservation mode. Right, they're, they're worried about, about the implications of these teachings that Jesus is giving. And then we end in to this, this final section of chapter 8, and, and this this last big statement in verses 31 through 59. And, and this is where the tension boils over. Right? This is where Jesus makes this huge, huge statement right? in verse 31. And he raises the bar on, on not just them, but on all of us. They, again, Jesus' big statement number three. In John 8, 31 and 32, and then we skip down to 34. And he says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And Jesus makes this, this huge comparison here in this last big statement, right, between being in bondage and being set free. And the, the, the action step, right, that he gives us, he says, so if you know the truth, right, then he says, then you'll be set free. But the only way you're set free is if you are faithful to my teachings. Right, and that is our action step that comes out of this big, this big statement. Right, because Jesus says knowledge is not enough. You need to apply that knowledge to your life and to your decisions and to your actions. And when you live out that knowledge, then it's, not, it's no longer knowledge. It then becomes wisdom. Right? Because wisdom is applying what we know and living it out to in our lives. Right? And when we, when we apply that wisdom and we are faithful to the truth of Jesus' teachings and the truth of who God is, Right, then Jesus tells us in these following verses that, that then our, our, identity, our true identity truly comes out. And that true identity is God's child. Sons and daughters of the king. Right, and that is our true identity. And that identity right, is what we, we live into in a permanent way. 
right? Because being a slave is a temporary status, right? Because slaves can be set free. And when you sin, you are a slave to that sin, but you can be set free through the truth of who Jesus is and the gospel message of grace. Right? And he's saying, you, we are all start out in bondage, but you can be set free. And then in verses 37 through 47, Jesus comes right out and, and, and accuses these religious leaders of the fact that, that they are continuing in bondage, right? That they're not free at all because they are imitating the wrong father. Again, they claim that their father is Abraham. Right? And Jesus pushes back on them and says, no, your father's not Abraham. Your true father is the devil. Because you deny God in your attitudes and your actions and the way that you live out and your own self-preservation you know, accusations right, and, and all these things that you are showing your true colors. And that is where they went wrong is that they were imitating the wrong father. He says, no, you are, you are, you are sons of the devil. And the, and the devil is the father of all lies. And, and when he speaks, he's deceiving you. And you don't even know it. Because you won't even hear the truth. Right? Because they believe the lie that they're heading in the right direction. And Jesus is telling them. Right? In fact, he blatantly calls them out. Right? In verses 34 or 43 and 44. He says, why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things that he does. Talk about offensive. Right? Jesus would not do well in a politically correct culture, would he? Right? Jesus straight calls him out. Right? He tells him the truth. He says, and, and yet you won't even listen because you... You are so deceived that, that you, you can't even hear what I'm saying. Okay, and that, that you are so comfortable in your bondage that, that, that you just you don't even want to hear anything different. Right? And again, how true is that, right? That we get so comfortable in our own sin, right? That, that we can be set free, but yet we deny the freedom, right, that we really need because we're like, nope, it's comfortable where I'm at. I'll just stay in bondage. Right? And, and, and that's the lie. I mean, that's the father of all lies, right? That, because, of course, sin is pleasurable in the moment, but, but, but the, the, the truth is that it's destroying you. That it's holding you in bondage. And yet Jesus says, but you can be set free. And he tells him, you're following the wrong authority figure. Right? Abraham was their physical father, but he was not the father that they were imitating. He was not the father that they were becoming like. And Jesus calls them out. And his intention, though, in calling them out was not to condemn them, but to show them how they had gone astray. They didn't purposely let the devil become the primary influence of their life. It kind of happened by default, by accident, by one little compromise after another. And many times in life, we don't realize that we're doing something until another person points it out to us. Because it's hard to see the truth about ourselves sometimes. 
And in that moment, that's a very humbling experience, right? When somebody finally reveals something to you about yourself that you've never seen. Right? And there's a very fine line between constructive criticism and self-protective finger-pointing. And how we react in those moments really shows a whole lot more about, about who our Father really is. Right? Than it does even about the current state of our hearts. Because instead of responding with humbleness and admitting our error, oftentimes we respond with selfishness, defensiveness, and just point the finger back at them. And that's exactly what they did to Jesus. Right? And, and as Jesus tells them that their real father is, is the devil, right? They, their rebuttal is, well, you're demon-possessed. You're the one following the evil ways, not us. And yet Jesus was just trying to open their eyes to what was really happening. Like, I step back for a moment, take evaluation of what you're following, what you're imitating, what, what the direction your life is going in. Because it's not good. But the heart of God is to shine light on your path and to, to move you in a new direction because God loves you. He wants to set you free. Which brings us to my final thought this morning, and that is this. We are realizing the fact that we are all influenced by something. So what is the primary influence of your life? Is it God, or is it something else? If it isn't Jesus, then it can be by following him, believing in him, and being faithful to his teachings. Those are the three action steps he gives us in chapter 8. Right? And those are action steps that we need to take if if we're not following Jesus, if we've never received him as our Savior, that's the way of salvation. But even if we have, that is still the action steps we need to take every day to make sure that we are going in the right direction. Right? We follow Jesus, we believe in him, and we remain faithful to his teachings. No matter where we are in our faith journey, that is how we continue to move forward. So wherever you are in your faith journey today, whether you need to accept Christ as Savior the first time or you just need to recommit to those action steps, I hope that you will do that and make that commitment and make that step. Lord God, we thank you today that you know our name. God, that you are our true Father. And God, I pray that as we go this week, Lord, that we would imitate you. Lord, that we would have our eyes open to what influences are we following in our lives. God, that you would show us that. And God, if it's anything other than you, God, help us to restore our faith in you. Lord, that we would follow your example. God, because we know our world follows all kinds of things. And Lord, so many are just living in bondage. And Lord, I pray that as we go this week, as we live out our faith with you as our true father, God, that we would show our world what it means to live in truth, to live in the light. God, to be loved by you. God, guide us as we go, as we as we serve you, Lord, as we apply this to our lives and live it out every day. Lord, as we follow your example, we love you. Guide us as we go this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.